Wow, good morning, Anthem Church. Man, I feel as though we could just stop there a second. That was the most important, one of the most important parts, that this is the word of the Lord. Wow, that's good. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. All right, I'm Toby. I'm a lay pastor here at Anthem. And basically, everybody else, well, there's a couple people here, but most people are out on vacation, so this is kind of like uh, the JV squad taking on varsity. <laughs> so, sorry if it feels a little slightly, um, it shouldn't be that bad. Um, but hey, at least you got to, li- thank you, at least you got to listen to Scripture this morning, right? Because this is the authority upon which we stand. It's His power working in us. This witness, this book, is a greater call than nature for the evidence of God. Creation, the psalmist says in Psalm 19, declares and shouts the glory of God. Well, the Bible does one even better because this is where we go, it says, Psalm 19, to be revived, to be sanctified, to be made wise, to be cleansed, to rejoice the heart. This is where we go to rejoice. This is where we can know what it means to be saved. This is where we know how to be warned from the way of evil. This is where we go to hear the good news for ourselves with our own eyes, with our own ears. This book is the only one that God refers to as a sword, which uh, Keaton kind of pointed out in Hebrews 4. It's a sword. It goes right to the very heart of things. It's like, man, how does God, how does God point these things out? He made us. And when his word speaks, it goes right to the very heart, right to the very quick, if you will. God knows us so much better than we think him capable of. And even it, the word of God is even one of the tools that we use, the Bible says, to resist Satan himself. And Jesus, in his own desert trial in Matthew 4, uh, didn't respond to Satan's temptings with his own words. And granted, if anyone was going to say, hey, get behind me, Satan, it was Jesus. But he set us a pace. He set an example for us to follow when he said these amazing words, which we should all take note. He said, it is written. It is written. And with that, the living revelation of God, the word of God in flesh, set a pace for us to follow. We need God's word. We need to know God's word. Because ultimately, we need Jesus and his wisdom, or we will certainly perish. And that's kind of what this passage is about today. The Bible is the authority that we appeal to, that we look to, that we cling to, all right? It's not me. I mean, we know that. It's not another pastor. It's not another church. It's not another creed. It's not another word. Those are all great things, but they can't replace the authority. They cannot replace the finality of the word of God. And now, I know when someone starts talking about reading Scripture and the Bible and its importance, there are already some walls, maybe some emotions, Right? Um, that appear in our hearts. Some of you may identify with this meme that Brock's going to... Oh, there it is. When you're only Leviticus for the 2022 Bible in a year plan, which, by the way, now it's 2023. All right. So um, some of you may identify with this (laughs) a little bit. Um, Or as my friend Jeff and I like to call it, memes, because that's what we call it, right? Um, Anyways, yeah, reading Scripture isn't always easily... It's, it's not always understandable. Maybe you're struggling with the why. Like, why? Why Leviticus? 
Like, why do I need to understand these sacrifices and over and over and over? But uh, there's actually a hint. I'm going to give you a hint. Read uh, Luke chapter 24 and Hebrews. Well, just read the whole book of Hebrews. That's just a hint. That was free of charge. Uh, save that for later. Um, but maybe you've been faithfully reading Scripture for years, and you guys, like, you've set a pace in your own heart, like, every day I'm in the Word of God. Every day I'm reading. Every day I'm studying. I'm learning something new. That's amazing. Don't take that for granted. However, you might be struggling because now it's starting to feel like um, a box is being checked. Well, this passage is for you too. It's not just a checkbox. There's a joy in it. And maybe you aren't really reading Scripture at all. You need to be honest with yourself because it's really important. David ends Psalm 19 this way after walking through the importance of Scripture. We've seen creation. It shouts. It shouts His glory. Glory, it says. And then it gives us His Word. And this is all of his, what His Word does. And then in Psalm 19:14, He says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know, the Holy Spirit is powerful and actively working in our hearts and lives, and he uses his word to do that. He leads us to his truth. Are we letting God work in our hearts? Or are we squelching that? Are we, we not even getting to the point where we, the Holy Spirit can work in us? Are we allowing God's word? Are we opening God's word and letting him speak to us? and letting him change us. How are we going to know right from wrong if we don't get in the Word of God, if we don't know it for ourselves? How are we going to know what he thinks about what's right and wrong? That's more important, because I have a version of right and wrong in my own heart from my, <laughs> from my own perspective. It's like, well, this is how I grew up, so this is kind of what I think is right and wrong. But what about what God thinks? Because God's standard doesn't change, and we're going to see that. So there's a lot wrapped up in this conversation today, and we're going to be diving into 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's a second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, who was an elder pastor, helping lead churches that Paul and Barnabas had started. And as it turned out, the early church needed this encouragement just as much as we do. Paul spent most of his letter encouraging Timothy essentially to preach the word and to help folks get sound words. He uses that a lot, sound, stable, stabilizing words. So let's consider three main points, because in this passage, we learn that there are folks that are deceived and are actively deceiving. And if we're not careful, just like the, the ship, the analogy, the ship analogy in Ephesians um, chapter four, we could be blown around with every wind of doctrine. We could be pushed around. And the next thing that comes up, oh, I heard that teaching and then kind of, like, oh, now I'm kind of blown over this way. I'm like, where's our rock? Where's our stability with that? So we have to be careful. But how do we defend ourselves with that? And that's our second point, which is to continue and firmly believe what God is teaching us, um, which we're going to learn is the Word of God. And then thirdly, some of the things that happen because of that, because when we live godly in Christ Jesus, the promise is not, yay, everything's going to be great now. Uh, oh, it's suffering. There's suffering involved in walking with Christ. Just as he suffered, he set a pace for us. And so we're going to look at that. But there's something that is deeper, that is so much more weighty than the suffering that we face in this life. When we walk with Christ, it says there's a light affliction in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that waits us. So we're going to see all of that. But before continuing, I'd love to pray with you guys as we get started. Heavenly Father, God, we just look to you. Lord, we need you in this moment. 
This is your word. And I pray, Father, that you would just uh, work through it today, that each person here would grow, each person here would know you. Father, if they don't know you, Father, if they're not saved today, Father, that you would change their hearts and work in their lives, that you would show them the gospel and show them how much you love them. Lord, if they are and they're uh, maybe struggling with this idea of just applying the word and getting in the word, I pray, Father, that you would challenge them today, that you help them to get in, Father, and change them, and uh, that each one of us may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, to be fruitful, Lord, in every good work, to increase in the knowledge of God, to be strengthened with all might according to your glorious power. And Father, that their faith would not stand in my wisdom, their faith wouldn't stand in somebody else's wisdom, but their faith would stand in your wisdom, Father, in the power of God that changes lives because your, your word is powerful to save. Your word is powerful to change. So work today, Father, through it. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we begin, deceived and actively deceiving. This is such a nice list. Um, it's very cheery, isn't it? Um, so as we begin, Paul's been building a case for Timothy as an elder to stand fast in the soundness of truth. Okay, so studying, knowing what, what is right, teaching the Word of God, helping others understand it so that they can be stabilized and steadfast in the faith. But he also says, to, he warns them about being wrapped up in controversy and squabbles. So we're going to hop back a couple of verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 23. It says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, for you know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So this is kind of the context that's being set up for us as Paul begins to speak then of these last days. as a call for Timothy to not be quarrelsome, but to be gentle like Christ, all right? And so as we get into this, he says, he begins to speak of the last days, which is really a reference to now. <laughs> Understand this, that in the last days, that's the days after Christ's ascension and before his coming again. That's the now that we live in. Uh, we're living in these times and we experience these, these things to one degree or another because of, what's the, because of the sinfulness of man. Um, understand this, that in these last days there will come times of difficulty, or grievous days. Why? Well, I thought you'd never ask. Let's go right into the text here. Um, so this first one <laughs> doesn't take a whole lot of explanation. Loving self, which is really the worship of self. Um, and we could, boy, uh, we could stay there for a while, but we're going to keep moving because that's convicting. Um, lovers of money. Which doesn't mean the love, which doesn't mean that, oh, you're rich, therefore you're sinning. What it means is that you have, you have placed money as the idol of your heart, that that's what you're going for, and you're putting other things that God would have in the way of that. So, like loving other people and loving Him, you've kind of put that underneath money and you've made it your pursuit. Okay? Proud and arrogance. And when I hear those words, I'm like, ah, I'm not proud. I, I, I don't do that. Um, but then you think, wait, pride and arrogance is really the idea of just putting yourself above others, which how easy is that to do? It's so easy in our hearts to do that, and that's what God's identifying here, the idea of showing oneself above others, to make oneself preeminent, okay? The idea of abusive 
is, can be translated blasphemy, but it really it carries the idea of evil speaking, of talking ill of others. And that is so easy to fall into. We bless God with our mouths. We say, we come and we sing and we worship, but then we talk about other people the way we shouldn't do. And that's what's adding to these times of difficulty if we're not careful. I want to stop here a moment when it says disobedient to their parents. Because the inclusion of this in this list is like, wait, what? I, I didn't think that was such a big deal. Like, I know it's bad. I know we need to deal with it. But disobedience to their parents is really, it's a role. It's a rebellion against the role that God's given them. The Bible says, children, obey your parents. And there's promise associated with that. Um, and he says, so just ponder the gravity of this for a moment, that this is included in this list. It's not small potatoes. Well, I think we tend to un- underestimate the gravity of sin that this represents because it's a culture thing. It's like, eh, there's some things we look at and we're like, oh, that's sin. <laughs> but no, that's a little sin. It's like, oh, that's a little lie. Oh, that's a big lie. Well, no, it's sin, and it, it ought to be dealt with as such. And that what, we're, what the Bible's saying here, what Paul's pointing out, is that disobedience to parents is adding to the overall problems that we, we're facing in these times. Because when you, when you rebel against this role, what other roles will you not submit to, like in a husband-wife relationship or like in a, in a relationship between you and an employer. Like it affects everything when you start defying and rebelling against the roles that God's put in our lives and set up for us. Um, as we continue, it's, we see the idea of ungrateful or thankless, the idea of unholy or not being separated from sin, of kind of coming to God but also kind of having our pet sins. The idea of being heartless, to basically to, to cease to feel pain. So I can, I can hurt others, and it doesn't affect me anymore. Or I can do whatever I want to do, and I'm callous. The idea of the Bible hardening our hearts. Or unappeasable, the idea of, of one, the Greek word there is without a covenant, or truce, which is the idea of one who can't be persuaded to enter into a covenant, one who can't be reasoned with. Listen, I can't talk to you. You won't listen. We can't have a conversation. Again, these are all adding to that, those times of difficulty here. Um, false accusations without self-control or unrestrained, brutal, which has the idea of not gentle or savage, which again goes against the very heart of who Christ is. Christ says, come unto me, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Um, treacherous, which is, iron- not ironically, that was the wrong word. Treacherous is our traitor, is the same word that was used to identify Judas in Luke chapter 6. Reckless, which means the idea of like falling forward, kind of like Peter um, just kind of rashly saying whatever come to mind. Um, Proverbs says, which we just did this with the kids, which is fun. Um, Proverbs says that rash words are like sword thrusts. We're not thinking about what we're saying. We're just going in and bashing. And what happens is we're stabbing. Instead of healing, instead of lifting up, we're speaking words that destroy and tear down. And this is uh, this one. This next one came with a little bit of a word picture because I wanted to kind of explain it a little bit. Swollen with conceit, which is pretty funny. Um, there's a picture that goes, yeah, that's it. Very swollen, all right? Um, the picture kind of says it all, but literally it means to wrap up in smoke. You see, you know how vapid or how transient smoke is, like your life is like a mist. Well, it's even less tangible than the, than the snacks that the chipmunk's eating uh, because really it's like excessive pride. You're swollen with pride. You wrapped yourself up in pride, and that's what it's talking about. And that can lead to destruction as well. Now, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
man, when you've replaced God with comfort, when you've replaced God with comfort and with pleasure. So you start to get the picture here. Things aren't looking too good, all right? Um, it's awesome how the Bible just gets right to the very right to the very heart of things. Like, this is shredding the fabric of society. This is destructive. God has humanity pegged ever since Genesis. Like, in the first century, believers could feel that angst and that air around them. And today, fundamentally, this is why we feel these, this, the weary, when the, when the, the hymn for Christmas says, the weary world rejoices, like, we're feeling that weariness. This is what's contributing to that because we're marring we're really misrepresenting with all of these different things. We're, we're deceiving ourselves into what Christ actually looks like and who he actually is. It really misrepresents the nature and the picture of who God is. Creation wasn't meant to bear the weight of these travesties. Death isn't the way that God designed things because he designed things good. Okay, real talk time. The times we live in will always be filled with difficulty in one way or another. And make no mistake... Uh, that that's going to be a thing. However, where are we at? Are any of these things creeping into our lives? Like, it may not be outward. Like, it may feel kind of in a, in a heart situation, which, honestly, a lot of this talks about your heart. Loving self, loving money, not loving good, actually hating good. I kind of missed that one. Yeah, there you go. Um, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So, again, a lot of this is talking about our hearts. And if that's where you're at, repent. Turn away from that. Confess those things. Cut them off today because those are dangerous. They're not just like, they're, they're not uh, done in a vacuum, but they actually affect our spiritual health, our relationship with Jesus. Uh, not to mention your families, your roommates, your brothers and sisters in community. Don't be deceived by your flesh or the world or Satan in this. This path, the Bible says here, leads from bad to worse. So consider it. How does your heart respond as we read through these things? Have you, have you already, do you find yourself kind of excusing away at certain things? I'm not accusing, I'm asking. Is that where you're at? Are you sure that you're not putting on a show? Because even if we look at verse five, it says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Okay, it feels good to, to feel and look and appear godly, but you could be denying the power of godliness and really how amazing Jesus is by buying into these things. Even if they're not the big sins or the major problems, like you say, eh, it's, a, it's a lie, it's not that big of a deal. But it is an issue, and it doesn't just affect you. As we consider and we continue in verse 5, it says, Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people, for among them are those who creep in the households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions." Always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of, arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified concerning or regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So the, destructive here, here, the destructiveness of this isn't just us. It comes in the form of subversion. It's reaching into homes like Titus 1 says, it, it, it's upsetting whole families. It's reaching into homes and snatching men and women and children and robbing them of the truth, compiling their sins. And like, again, when I read verse 6, it's like, uh, what is this talking about? Like, what are, we, what are we saying here? It seems weird at first, but it, it's really a reference to false teaching. It comes in 
and it destroys, and it, it builds on the lust and the problems that are already in our own hearts. It tears down and destroys. Now, this is talking about false teachers, and eventually, the Bible says, these teachers will be stopped, just like the men who opposed Moses, the Johnnies and Jambres, uh, Egyptian magicians, uh, the tradition carries, that oppose Moses, and it will be to their own destruction, which is great. But the real crux here is that if we're not careful, we can easily begin to teach others these paths. Maybe we're not actively teaching them with our, with our lips. Like we wouldn't say, hey, I think you need to love yourself. <laughs> like, no, I don't, I don't feel like we're going to do that. However, if we're not careful, we can do it through our actions. Um, so let's continue in verse, chapter, verse 10 uh, as, as Paul continues here. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness, my persecutions and, my, and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Elystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, he, Get, get this, Paul wasn't just teaching with his lips. He wasn't just setting down like, uh, okay, I want you to do this, uh, do what I do, but, but, or do what I say, but don't do what I do. Uh, but he, he see here, he's living it. He's aiming for it. Like he's focused on it. He's, he's enduring it. He's loving. He's holding fast in the middle of the trial. He's being patient. He's suffering from this as well. And he's saying, you're, you're seeing this? You're following me in this, and it's not just, it's not just what we say, it's what we do. So um, sometimes things don't just have to be taught, they can be caught. Um, and I like to use my kids as an example. Sorry, kids. Uh, this is just a thing. For instance, when our kids use a well-placed word, I don't know where they got it from. We didn't teach it to them. Um, but one time my father-in-law was showing <laughs> Lenny May his, his uh, surgery scar, and Lenny May went, oh, crap. And I was like, uh, right in front of my parents. Oh, this is really embarrassing. I don't know how they got that. But anyways, um, or the copy game, or even better, the kids are all planning to do for All Saints Day, which is the day after Halloween. They're all planning to dress up as me. I don't know why. Um, and apparently I say things sometimes that they can copy. So they're going to go around saying, um, I don't care who you are. I don't care what people say about you, but you're awesome. So apparently I say that a lot. I don't understand that. So anyways, sometimes we're, we're going to learn from teaching. Like words are important. Ideas are important. But not everything has to be taught. Sometimes it's caught. Um, we've got to be careful. And it's not just our kiddos. It's our friends, our family, our roommates, our brothers and sisters here. Like it's the people around us. The Bible says bad company ruins good morals. And if we're talking or living in a way that perpetuates it, we're harming others. We're, we're pulling them down. We're hurting them. We're causing them to offend God. We're causing their relationship with God to suffer. So how can we be sure that we're walking with Jesus and leading others to him? How do we know that we're walking in a way in our hearts and in ways that please God, not only for our sake, but so that others are, that are watching us are going, oh, I want to do that too. And they're not, well, they're not walking with us into sin. How do we know that? 
Well, that uh, brings us to our second point, which is to continue and to firmly believe. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote the following on friendship and its effects, which is a beautiful statement. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. Now that Charles is dead, which is one of the friends in their writing group, he said, I shall never again see Ronald or Tolkien's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. And this friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself. And so whether we realize it or not, when people are missing from fellowship and community, it affects. We, are, we deeply affect one another in community. That's why we get together. That's why we gather together. We're, it's a beautiful part of being the body of Christ. And while those who are deceived, if we're not careful, go on from bad to worse as they deceive others, God calls us to a greater and a far more reliable defense than our wisdom, our natural affinities, how we grew up, our relative decency, our common sense, all of those things. Those things can't conjure up a defense. Those things can't give us solid ground to stand on. They can be moved, but God's word is powerful and strong. So verse 14, let's start there. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been equated with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we ought to hold fast. We ought to cling to, Psalm 119 says, clinging to his word. We ought to hold fast to what we've learned and firmly believed. Now, I want you to notice several things at work here in the passage. It says um, in verse 14, continue what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it. And the Greek word there is plural. So it's more than one. So originally I kind of assumed I, I know who this is. Um, but it's actually not just Paul's input. It's actually Timothy's grandmother and his mom. If, we, if you go back to chapter 1, you can do that later, write it down. Um, he talks about Timothy's grandmother and mother and how they had faith and how he has faith. And Paul even talked about ancestors that he was serving. Like, just like my ancestors were serving in sincerity, so I'm serving too. There's a beautiful thing here. There are folks who have poured into your life, very potentially, that you can look at and say, they're following Christ I'm holding fast to, knowing that what they're teaching me, knowing who they are, I'm holding fast to it. There's a wonderful heritage of faith here for each of us, and I think of Hebrews 11. Uh, Hebrews 11, you should read that. You should just read Hebrews. Um, that's just kind of a plug. Um, but just consider those brothers and sisters who've gone on before. They didn't get to see all the promises fulfilled, but they still held fast in faith, and we can follow after them too. Um, you may be thinking, though, well, like, the person that led me to Jesus or discipled me, who should have protected me, they've fallen from grace. They're not walking with Jesus. They're actually deceived. They're actually deceiving others now. They're not walking with Christ anymore. And I want you to know that there's someone else who is teaching and leading us too. It's God the Spirit through the Word of God. And while you may not have a spiritual father here anymore, God is your father. While you may not have had the best of role models, 
you can now look at Jesus' life and walk. He walked holy and pure, and he set a pace for us to follow. You have a role model, and you have someone that will bring the words and lead you right to them. John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 26 and 27 says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Again, we have this idea of deceit happening here. But the anointing, that is the Holy Spirit, that you have received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So hear what the word of God says. Acknowledge him in your life. Listen to him. Allow him, allow yourself to be led by the Spirit. Know that God is always true. While others will deceive you, while others will lead you down a path of destruction and say, hey, you, you should do this. Like, I think this is cool. I think it's fine. It feels good. No, like God sets a pace for us. And God's Spirit, he is a good shepherd. And while you may not have had shepherds in the past that were good, he is good. He is our good father. He is our good shepherd. He will lead us. And that is just an amazing thing. Just what are we learning? So what are we learning and firmly believing in? What's going to keep us from being deceived or deceiving others? How do we know what God really desires from us? Well, let's, uh, you know what? I, there was a joke there, but I'm going to skip the joke. We'll just keep going. Um, the sacred writings, all right? The scripture, the very breathed words of God. And so, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing who has taught you, knowing the heritage of faith that has been left by those who have gone before. The church is a beautiful building that started with the cornerstone of Christ, was built on by the apostles, and then continues today. We're building and adding on to that building. That's all from Jesus and all for his glory. The neat thing about God's word here, too, is that the word that says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It literally means, I'm probably going to butcher this, it's theos paneo, which means God to breathe. That's referred to by Apostle Peter as more fully confirmed than literally God the Father coming down and saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Like, he, Peter got to see and hear God's voice in person. Like, isn't that confirming? Doesn't that feel good? Like, it's like, whew, I got to see the transfiguration kind of hiding that in my heart. We're going to talk about that later. I don't know what I just saw, but it's amazing like this miracle, but yet he points us back to Scripture. He points us back to the Word. Why? Like, why is that more fully confirmed? Why is this more solid and founded than even an experience with God? Because they're God-breathed, written down by men, speaking from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is why David calls upon the Lord to purify him in Psalm 19. Creation in itself and our experiences with God are amazing, but the word of God is so much more authoritative and powerful. So ultimately, we cling to him as we cling to his words. It makes us wise for salvation, even from a young age. It teaches us. It corrects us. It reproves us and says, hey, you're wrong. It instructs us in righteousness. And if you'll let him, God will use his word to change your life and change your direction, your desires, and your heart your thoughts, and your actions. God's word can reverse that downward trend that we see happening that makes these days so difficult, so grievous. He takes those natural tendencies and brokenness and he changes them. And by the way, it's good for pastors too, all right? So as I say, the man, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. We need it too. But it's also good for every saint. All right? We're all part of the priesthood of believers. And we should dive in. Uh, I'm going to read Ephesians 4.14. That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's that deceit again. It brings me to this conclusion. So as we, can, as we kind of wrap things up, we want to remember and hold fast to the Word of God, knowing who we've learned it from. But at this point, you probably expect, okay, um, I know that. I know that there's deceitful ways. We've kind of looked at some of those. There's probably more we need to get in Scripture and kind of figure those out. Um, I know that I need to look and behold the Savior, the Good Father who's teaching me. Like I, need, I know that. Um, and so at this point, you expect there to be some kind of encouragement from Scripture. Paul will be like, hey, after you obey and continue in the faith, everything's going to be good. It's all going to be okay. No, no problems. Yeah, we're going to be good. Uh, okay, that's it. But actually, that, that's the future. <laughs> Don't mistake it. There is a, there's a point when every tear will be wiped away. When we'll be joined together with the dead in Christ will rise, we'll be with them in the air. So will we ever be with the Lord? But that belies an ugly present, okay? Paul says, basically says, hey, welcome to suffering. This is going to be good, is what Paul essentially says. Living godly invites suffering and persecution because we are literally going against the grain. Um, in a world that's fixated by do- and dominated by darkness, any light is bound to have a dramatic effect. Just think about John chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his words works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the idea is like, are we going to speak up if we need to? Is there a conversation at work that I need to leave? Like, should I be here? We can do things in a gentle way. We can do things in a loving way. But is there something that I'm engaging in that I sh- and I'm being sucked into and I'm, I'm actually adding to that? I'm actually, by my actions, I'm deceiving others? Like, we have to think through these things. Our presence, even in an imperfect presence <laughs> we're in, in struggle, is going to create tension in unbelievers and sometimes rejoicing when they see your good works and they're like, wow, there's something different about this guy. There's something different about this gal. And that's exciting. But it invites struggle and possibly persecution, but more than likely suffering, even from Satan himself. And 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10 is a great reference for this. Basically, it's not a new conflict. It may come up through sin. It may come up in conflict against sin and conflict against Satan, but it's not unexpected. It's coming. Satan wants to devour us. He wants to destroy us, okay? The same sufferings against Satan and our flesh and our sin are universal in the church to one extent or the other. Like, we're all suffering. We're all going to, if we live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Like, this is the call for the Christian. Just as Jesus suffered for us, like, we should expect, okay, he set a pace, an example, not because we feel comfortable doing it, but it's out of love for him, okay? Don't let this discourage, don't let this suffering discourage you. Know that it's coming and hold fast to what you've been taught, knowing who has taught you his word. Our walk with Christ is greater than the sufferings of the present. 
And a big part of this is what happens next. Because while Paul says, hey, there's suffering, guess what? There's something so much more grounding, so much more uh, eternal in nature. His word, it says, is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He allows us to know what the gospel is. I need to be saved. Jesus died, buried, and rose again for me. He did the work on the cross so that I didn't, wouldn't have to work, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. So that he died and was buried according to the scriptures and rose again the third day. Like he teaches us what it is to be saved and how to be, how to, like what do we do? Like do I just do enough good works? Do I, like, but he shows us what it means to be saved when he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Put your faith in him. Okay, so he's able, even from a young age, even from a child, we can know what it is to be saved. And that's deeper. That goes, that is far more tangible than this world and the comforts of this world, which is why we ought to be fleeing from the idea of pleasure as an idol, to make, to put pleasure in place of an idol or in place of God, because his word enables us also to grow. It teaches us, it changes us. And all this starts to sound when you say, wait a minute, um, we, we should start living like Jesus. We have to be sanctified. Like that's part of salvation, what God's doing. It's not because, not to get saved, but because we've been saved. Because essentially the Bible, and I'm going to go ahead and, I'm going to go ahead and quote Jesus here. All right. Titus chapter 2. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to get off script a little bit. Because it says for, in verse 11, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So in other words, God's grace is greater than our sin. So he eradicates sin for us, but we, in, but we are still called as, as we are saved. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, but we're called to good works. And grace teaches us, the grace of God that came teaches us to renounce those things. Nah, that's not a way I want to live anymore. What fruit do I have in those things? I'm following Christ. So it teaches us. It changes us. It enables us to see, where does God want me to go? It's all through him. It's all through him. It's his wisdom and his faith that he gives us from his word. It's amazing. There's salvation and growth in Jesus and life with Christ now. You see, we aren't just studying and reading and learning God's word to just check a box, to just get through the end of the year plan or the end of the two-year plan or the three-year plan, whichever you prefer, whatever floats your boat. Um, plans and goals are just a means, are ways of helping us and get back on track for a much deeper why, which is your relationship with Jesus. As we get into the Word, this is what He's calling us to, and we ought to be pursuing Him. You should be pursuing His Word because you're running to get to Jesus like a deer that's panning for water. Uh, Jeremiah would know about that. That's my other friend. Uh, all of Scripture points back to him. He's desiring to purify us for himself as a people. Um, it says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous, desirous, fervent, excited about good works. Not to get saved, but because we've been saved by him, because we've been changed. He wants us to grow through him and for his glory. So whether that's, as Keaton was saying, starting to read the Bible every day, maybe that's where you're at, or maybe it's your heart about Scripture. 
Let's get into the why. Let's figure things out. Let's come around each other in this. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, which teaches us to deny ungodliness, your grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Thank you for giving us your word that we know what it is uh, to walk with you, that we have sound words, Father, upon which to settle our lives. And God, we need you. You're our anchor. And Father, your word is amazing and changing. And so, Father, I pray that you would go again. Once again, I pray that folks' faith and their hope would not be placed in someone other than Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that their, their, their hope and their growth in, in you would be, faith, would be trusting in your word, Father, in the power of God, not in my wisdom or in anyone else's wisdom, but in the power and wisdom of God that comes from your word, Father. I pray that you would change us and work on us. And Lord, if there's someone that's not reading scripture or maybe they're, they're just struggling, I pray you give them hope and, and, and uh, faith and help them to walk with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.